music, science, cosmic culture. This is the Blue Dot Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Plate Up for the Planet and the Vegan Society. You can find more information about the Plate Up pledge at discovertheblue.com slash plate up. Don't forget, Blue Dot returns in July 2022 for another extraordinary weekend of music, science and cosmic culture, featuring Bjork Orchestral with the Halley Orchestra and much, much more. Tickets are on sale now. And don't forget to subscribe to the Blue Dot podcast wherever you're listening and leave a review. Hello and welcome to a special mini-series of the Blue Dot podcast in partnership with the Vegan Society. To coincide with COP26 taking place in Glasgow, this mini-series will be delving into the role that veganism can play in the future of our planet. Over the next three episodes, we'll be speaking with climate change scientists, sustainability experts and notable vegans to discuss how adopting lifestyle changes can make a difference to the future of our blue dot. From the roots of the vegan worldview to our current climate crisis and some of the solutions veganism and sustainable lifestyles could provide. In this first episode, we'll be introducing what veganism means in 2021, what it represents, how it might be different to what you think, and how wide-ranging the vegan lifestyle is. We'll be uncovering the background to modern veganism and the ethical perspectives that have become the foundation for the vegan way of life. I'm Chris Hawkins, and this is the Blue Dot Podcast, in association with the Vegan Society. So why does someone become a vegan? In episode two, we'll be exploring environmental veganism, the role veganism could play in fighting climate change. But in this episode, we'll focus a bit more on animal welfare. Carl Sagan, the inspiration behind Blue Dot and the creator of the iconic Cosmos series, once wrote, In my writings, I've tried to show how closely related we are to other animals and how morally bankrupt it is to slaughter them. Sagan's moral and ethical position on animal welfare is the same as many who make the decision to adopt a vegan lifestyle. His belief, that humans are no more important than animals, is at the core of the vegan movement's philosophy. While Sagan never claimed to be a vegan, he was a prominent supporter of campaigns such as the Great Ape Project, which sought to extend basic rights to our primate ancestors like chimpanzees, bonobos, gorillas and orangutans. The vegan worldview is straightforward and based on the concept of equality between animals and humans. An equality that means humans don't have the right to control or consume animals. Vegans reject what's called speciesism, the idea that humans are superior to animals. It's a philosophy that the vegan society have recently celebrated with their Future Normal campaign, celebrating the connection between humans and animals and encouraging animal lovers to be animal heroes. Amelia Lease is a vegan writer and the co-author of the new book, Think Like a Vegan. For Amelia, who converted to veganism in her 40s, becoming a mother and seeing similar maternal instincts to her own in the animal kingdom became her wake-up call. I came to it from a feminist perspective, and I talk about that in the book. It was actually going through IVF and thinking about motherhood and then thinking about, wait a second, cows have to give birth to lactate. They are 
mammals like us. There's no difference. So that process awoke in me a thinking like, wait a second, I'm sitting here going through all these hoops to procreate, yet I'm treating my non-human sisters in a completely objectified way. I could never tolerate that in a human context. So what makes it right to tolerate that in a non-human context? And that really drove home the point to me. For the musician and activist Moby, a love for animals was hardwired in him as a child. It didn't take much for him to make the jump to veganism. Like most people, I grew up with the weird paradox of loving animals and also eating animals. And it's such a ubiquitous sort of ingrained cultural paradox that almost no one's aware of it. The vast majority of people identify as animal lovers. And forgive me if any of this is self-evident, but like, you know, we live in a world where people identify as animal lovers and people are horrified by brutality and horrified by violence, especially brutality and violence that's visited upon the defenseless and the innocent. But yet, 99% of the people on the planet happily continue to eat meat, even though like with just the littlest bit of scrutiny, it's pretty clear that eating meat and dairy doesn't align with anyone's values unless you are a psychopath. And so I grew up with that paradox of loving all the rescued animals that we had. You know, we had hamsters, guinea pigs, gerbils, dogs, cats, lab rats, iguanas. We just had so many animals. And I loved all of them. And I would never, ever have thought of doing anything to hurt any of them. But I was also a suburban boy and I loved going to Burger King and I loved pepperoni pizza. And it was almost like my brain very effectively sort of sequestered or compartmentalized these two things, the love of animals in one part of my brain and the love of eating animals in the other part of my brain. And then when I was 19 years old, I had what I think of as my Saul on the road to Damascus moment. I was playing with a rescued cat named Tucker, who I had found at our local dump when he was only about two days old, three days old. And at this point, Tucker was nine years old and he was the happiest cat in the world. And we were playing together. And almost in an instant, I realized that Tucker had two eyes, a central nervous system and a profound desire to avoid pain and suffering. So in an instant, I realized every being with two eyes and a nervous system wants to be alive and wants to avoid pain and suffering. And so that led me to be vegetarian. And then that was 1984. And then in 1987, thanks to books like Diet for a New America, I finally became vegan. Of course, veganism and vegetarianism are different things. And while vegetarianism rejects the consumption of meat, veganism extends that to all animal products, including dairy and honey and materials such as leather. Eleanor Ord is a senior officer at the Vegan Society and explains a bit more about what that means. Veganism is a much more all-encompassing philosophy than just including a plant-based diet. A vegan wouldn't buy clothes uh, made out of animal products like leather or fur, and a vegan would want to avoid entertainment based around animal use. So 
things like horse riding or visiting a zoo or a, a circus that still uses animals, yeah, they would prefer to to go to a sanctuary or to see free living animals in a nature reserve, something like that. Also things like toiletries or cosmetics, um, we look for ones which haven't been tested on animals as well. For Amelia Lease, taking dairy or honey from animals is a bit like theft. I don't like to engage too much in the graphic nature of suffering because I think that's unfair. It's important to talk about, but not to focus only on that. But with honey, for example, one of the things that we talk about, and we talk about it in the book as well, is thinking about it in this imaginary way. You live in a village and this village is far away from everything. So in the summertime, you have to prepare all your foods and you will store them for consumption in winter. Then a neighbor who happens to be a giant comes along because they think that your apple pies and your food has magical properties. Because of these magical properties, this giant comes in, throws a smoke bomb into your house, takes all your food and leaves behind sugar water. They might kill one or two people who also live in your house while they're taking away your food. They don't have any need for your food because they have plenty of their own. How would you like that? You know, then you're left with this sugar water and you may survive with that sugar water, no doubt. That that may be okay, but you had prepared all these nice things for yourself for the winter. And yet someone then came in, took it away from you because they wanted to. They thought it was magic. Is that fair? And for Moby who initially was a vegetarian, ultimately cutting out all animal products was the only option. My vegetarianism in 1984 was inspired by a principle. And the principle was, I didn't want to be involved in anything that contributed to or caused animal suffering. And even more deeply, I didn't want to be involved in anything that deprived a sentient being of their ability to live according to their will. You know, I mean, it's funny because we go back to, I mean, almost like the Magna Carta or the Code of Hammurabi, like so much of our legal system is based on this simple idea that the worst thing you can do is impose your will violently on another person who's innocent. That's the cornerstone of our judicial system, that every individual is sort of entitled to their life and the pursuit of their will. It's just funny that no one thinks of extending that to animals, apart from a few people like you and me. So in 1984, that led me to be vegetarian. And I thought at first, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to stop eating fish. I'm going to stop eating meat. And that's ethical enough. And then books like, you know, Peter Singer, John Robbins made me realize that locking animals in cages and stealing their milk and their eggs was, from my perspective, I was like, oh, it's worse. Like, at least when you eat an animal, you kill the animal and you end their suffering, as opposed to like dairy cows and chickens who are kept alive in misery. Like, they're sort of almost the extension of the golden rule, like do unto others. And honestly, I would much rather be killed and eaten then kept alive for years in a cage while someone like takes my effluvia from my body. So that's why in 1987, I was like, my, my principles, my commitment to this led me to be vegan. And so that was 34 years ago. 
There's evidence of plant-based lifestyles all the way back to as early as 500 BCE. The likes of Pythagoras and the Buddha were known as promoters of vegetarianism and shared a philosophy of animal benevolence that extended to their diet. Fast forward to the 1940s and the founding of the Vegan Society spearheaded what we now recognise as modern veganism, formalising the concept of veganism and kick-starting the movement. Starting as an offshoot of the Vegetarian Society, the vegans proposed a way of life that avoided all use of animal products. In November 1944, Donald Watson called a meeting with five other non-dairy vegetarians to discuss their diets and lifestyles. Though many held similar views at the time, these six pioneers were the first to actively found a new movement, despite opposition. They named themselves vegan, which, in the words of Donald Watson, marked the beginning and the end of vegetarian. While the definition of veganism has changed and been refined over the years, the Vegan Society's philosophy has been in place since the late 80s, describing veganism as a philosophy and way of living which seeks to exclude all forms of exploitation of, and cruelty to, animals for food, clothing or any other purpose. That means promoting the use of animal-free alternatives, not just for our benefit, but for the animals themselves and the environment, and dispensing with all products derived from animals. These days, the Vegan Society works on countless campaigns across various different aspects of veganism to promote the benefits of veganism and ways to live a vegan life. Their Live Vegan for Less campaign helps show people that a vegan lifestyle doesn't have to break the bank, while their Grow Green campaign was all about helping farmers with financial and practical support to move from livestock grazing to plant agriculture. Perhaps most notably is their Future Normal campaign, which builds on the animal welfare and compassion that's influenced Amelia and Moby. Eleanor Ord tells us a bit more about the Vegan Society's work. The Vegan Society runs a campaign called Future Normal, which is about the animal rights angle. And uh, the idea is that in the future, we believe that it will be normal. It will be every day to, to kind of hold vegan beliefs and, and think that think of other animals, recognise them to be individuals who all have their own unique personalities. And for people to think of other animals in the same way that they will consider their own dog who they live with or cat who they live with. It's about taking those values of, of compassion and kindness that we already have and already show to so many animals in our lives and expanding that out to include all different species, including species that we're used to seeing used at the moment for food or clothing or research or entertainment. And so that campaign, Future Normal, we've been running it for a couple of years now and will continue to run it. You can see it at futurenormal.org. And I'm excited to see what we're going to do with it in the coming years. The Vegan Society's campaigning exists because there's still a long way to go. While adoption of veganism has increased in recent years and the lifestyle has become mainstream, the meat industry does continue to dominate and with it comes its damaging environmental effects as well as the animal welfare issues it causes. So when it comes to animal welfare, what more can and should be done? The role of politicians in protecting animals has become more important in recent years as regulation and legislation have been brought in to support animal rights. Alex Sobel is a Member of Parliament and sits on the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Vegetarianism and Veganism. 
Having campaigned against animal testing and playing a crucial role in the banning of animals in circuses, Alex's membership of the group has seen him platform animal rights issues in Parliament. Alex tells us a bit about what the group does. The group really has two functions. One is promoting vegetarian veganism in Parliament and in society more generally, and it has done campaigning around vegetarian veganism in Parliament where there wasn't a very good offer, particularly for vegans, and that's improved now. And it draws on a broader theme, which is about being vegetarian vegan in the workplace. So where there's workplace canteens, etc., there's an offer at work that you can access vegetarian vegan food. And there's a broader thing about promoting in society. So veganuary, that's something that the APG is very involved with. And then there's also legislation around issues like health, animal welfare and food production, etc. So a good example generally in society is if you want to break something new and scale it up, whether that's electric vehicles or vegetarian vegan food, if the public sector as a whole, so local authorities, the NHS, the civil service, procure it, so buy it at scale, you know, I'm not talking about a civil servant going out to prep for their lunch and buying a vegan sandwich. I'm talking about them procuring large scale for workplace canteens or for their catering. One of the bits of work that's been done recently is that there should be a duty to buy vegetarian vegan food for public procurement. And that fits with another piece of work about access to vegetarian vegan food in hospitals for patients. So this has been a particular issue around vegan food, actually, in hospitals. And some trusts are better than others. But if you put the duty in the public procurement, they also have to procure it. If they procure it, then they'll serve it. So those two pieces of work really go together really well in the NHS, for instance, but more broadly in the public sector. And also, if you're doing that, if you're a vegan food producer and you need to scale up, so you need to invest in your plant, your factory, you need to have somebody who's going to buy a lot. So your, your, your options are supermarkets or public procurement, really. But also done work on agriculture, so how we can change use of agricultural land for more arable lands and grow more crops, and how that actually will have a benefit for the climate as well. There's multi multifaceted. In the next episode of the Blue Dot podcast, we'll be exploring veganism for climate change, the main challenges facing the environment, the role of diet and farming practices, and the alternatives that could save the planet. From biodiversity loss and deforestation to food security and water scarcity, veganism could play a role in alleviating almost every food-related cause of climate change. And in episode two, we'll be exploring how. We'll be speaking with climate change expert Andrew Sims, one of the founders of the Green New Deal in the UK and the creator of the now world-renowned Earth Overshoot Day. And he'll be explaining what the current state of play is with climate change and where plant-based living might be a factor in changing things for the better. This episode was brought to you in partnership with Plate Up for the Planet and the Vegan Society. You can find more information about this podcast series and the Plate Up Pledge at discovertheblue.com slash plate up. Subscribe to the Blue Dot Podcast wherever you're listening and drop us a review if you've enjoyed what you've heard. Don't forget, Blue Dot returns in July 2022 for another extraordinary weekend of music, science and cosmic culture with Bjork Orchestral and much, much more. Head to discovertheblue.com to find out more.